0: Did you know the person most associated with divine favor in the Bible is Queen Esther? You might have asked the question, how did she get so much favor in her life? Perhaps you think that God is partial, but I want you to know today that God is not partial. It depends on your position. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and I want to welcome you today to Day of Destiny. Today we are going to look into God's Word and see some of the most powerful biblical success secrets. So join us today and get ready to be launched to another level of destiny in your life. Today, beloved saints, we are going to open our Bibles and we are going to look at the Word of God. I'm going to share with you today about some of the most important biblical success secrets that we have in God's Word. So often, people ask the question, How did Esther get so much favor? Well, first of all, let's begin to look at the Word of God and we are going to see how the Bible actually introduces Esther to us. And we have a resume for greatness. Now, the first thing I want you to know is that when we look at God's Word, we are going to see that any person that arrives to a platform of greatness and purpose does not just get there. You may not know this, beloved, but no one in the Bible gets a free pass to destiny. It doesn't happen that way. Even Isaac, the son of Abraham, did not get a free pass to destiny there is a proving process to destiny and the scripture always presents a resume for us whether it's a detailed resume like first samuel is actually in context from the 16th chapter to the end of the book it is a resume on the character traits of king david Because why? There are character traits that God uses and character traits that God refuses. And we see a clashing contrast between King Saul and King David. We're going to see that King David never used revenge. King David never used any of his earthly ability to fight against the slander. The evil diva- designs, the demonic power that was operating through Saul, or anything of that nature, to fight back and hold his position. Even so, we see this as a resume that Bible, the Bible gives us to substantiate that place of greatness that God has put in His Word. <coughs> so today. I want you to see with me the incredible resume that the Bible gives us concerning Queen Esther. Let's begin, beloved, with verse five. The Bible says, now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shmi, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Now, I'm going to teach you something that I hope will help you in your quest to come up to the next level and will help you understand that when we read the Bible, beloved, we are not reading a newspaper. So, skills to interpret the author's intent does not always mean that we read it to collect information. One of the ways that we study scripture is that we make an analysis of the text. And here we are seeing something that raises a question. And the question is very blatant. It's not obscure. We look at this genealogy and it's screaming out to us. We see the son of Kish, but we do not see Saul's name. We all know from 1 Samuel chapter 9 that Saul, his father's name was Kish. And Kish was a mighty man of valor. So the question is raised, why in this genealogy given to to us in Esther chapter two, verse five, is Saul's name eliminated? Did the scripture forget to put it in? Was the author who was either uh, Esther and Mordecai or other scribes that had a part in contributing to the book of Esther, did they leave it out because they forgot? No, I want you to know that it was left out very deliberately. Why? Why? Because the text is teaching us that Saul was actually deleted from destiny. I don't know about you, but I don't want my destiny deleted. And beloved saints, in this case, Saul's name is literally erased. It's not here. And one of the reasons that the text is using Keisha's name is so that we would be very aware that Saul's name should be there. He is the most important Benjaminite besides Benjamin. So scripture has deliberately deleted his name to give us a message, to show us something. First of all, we see that Queen Esther, that her royalty that the Bible is going to associate us with is not just the royalty of Persia. The scripture is going to concern itself with the royalty in the royal line of Saul. And this way, when we understand Esther's royalty, we are going to understand Esther's mission. Esther is a type and a shadow of the bride of Christ. Esther is a type and and a shadow of the warring bride of Christ. And if we see Esther, the book of Esther is actually, beloved, a manual for spiritual warfare. Now, we're going to continue in the context, and we are going to see something about the way Esther was raised. Yes, it is very relevant because every word in the Bible is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. It's not dead history. So when we read in verse seven, the Bible is going to tell us, now we read in verse five, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Eer, the son of Shmi, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Now continuing on in the context, verse seven says, and he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther. Now, first of all, we're going to see something very powerful in a very unique literary device that the text shows us about Esther. We're going to see her name only once is revealed to us as Hadassah, and Hadassah is associated with her background as an orphan. Then we are going to see that Hadassah actually becomes Esther. So the question arises, does she just take on a new name and she's still really Hadassah? Or is the scripture going to tell us something about destiny, how we grow in to our prophetic purpose, how we go through a transformation in our life, and how sometimes grievous tribulation can bring an extraordinary transformation in our life to become the person that God has ordained us to be. So when the scripture is showing us Hadassah, we are seeing an orphan. We're seeing a personality pattern that is passive. We are seeing someone that you would never expect in a million years to be the one that is solely going to bring down the arch enemy of Israel in the person of Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagite. So we are going to see that she is going to be raised to take the place of her great ancestor Saul. Now I want you to understand something. What Saul forfeited Esther is going to fulfill. But let's look just for a moment at this biblical resume. The recipe for greatness that the Bible is going to show us about every single individual that steps into the platform God has ordained for their purpose. Let's look. The Bible says in verse seven, and he said, and, and, and he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, and she had neither mother or father. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took her to be his own daughter. This seems a tad redundant, doesn't it? We already know that her mother and father were dead. So why do we need to have it repeated twice? I want you to see the Bible is telling us she's fair and beautiful. But first of all, what we need to see is that first of all, I believe the Bible is shattering the fairy tale version of Esther. We're going to see that Esther was raised in a house a household of hesed. For those of us that don't know what hesed is, hesed is really one of the ingredients that the scripture teaches us that becomes favor in our life. Because the word hesed is one of the two Hebrew words that scripture uses for favor. One of the words is ratzon. Ratzon means will. Also, it means favor and it means will. So this means one of the pathways into the promise of favor is when I do God's will. But also this word hesed. Hesed is a word that describes the greatness, not only of Esther, but we also see it in King David when he showed kindness to Mephibosheth, to Mephibosheth. All right. This word hesed means kindness. It's the kind of kindness that brings the love of God in action. You see, it's not just something we think about. It's not just an ideology. It involves selfless sacrifice. And here we see Mordecai, who also becomes great, because if we look at Esther chapter 10, and we see verse 3, the text is going to teach us now the acts of Mordecai and his greatness in the eyes of the people, being next to King Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus, who ruled right next to him. What made Mordecai so great? What is the biblical recipe that the scripture is showing us here for greatness. First of all, we're going to see something about Mordecai that's going to help us understand the household in which Esther was raised. First of all, we're going to see that the Bible has emphasized twice. His uncle's daughter, for she had neither mother nor father, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took her to be his own daughter. So here we are seeing one of the greatest acts of Hesed in the Bible. This is an act of selfless sacrifice that Mordecai, her cousin, is not just going to perform a duty. He is going to go beyond just taken responsibility for Esther. We are going to see that he's going to love her as his own daughter. Now, this is very important, or it wouldn't be in the Bible. This is also a character trait that is worthy of greatness. This is showing us that we are to emulate these values that are in the scripture, showing kindness. Jesus said, if we just even give a cup of cold water in the name of of, of Jesus, we will not lose our reward. Here we are seeing That kindness also means something that helps us understand the concept, if you will, of akrevut. The concept of akrevut is taking the responsibility for another human being, meaning, I'm your responsibility, you're my responsibility. Now let's go a little bit deeper because I know a lot of us say, hey, look, I've got enough problems in my own life. It's just us four and no more. But I want you to see something about the individuals in the Bible. There is a prophetic pattern and there is a streamlined uh uh Theme that we can see that is pervasive in every person that ever stepped into the platform of purpose. Moses took the responsibility for a slave whose name is unknown to this day. He stopped the quarrel and he took the responsibility for an unknown slave because he saw the action against that unknown slave was absolutely not right. And the writer of the book of Hebrews puts that act of hesed, that act of kindness, in the hall of faith. Because we see here in Hebrews chapter 11, let me read it to you, how important it is, how the Bible deems it so important to take responsibility for another human being. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was, born, was hid three months by his parents. Now watch this. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now watch this verse, verse 25. The Bible says, choosing rather to suffer affliction for the with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Continuing in the context of verse 26, the Bible says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense for reward. For by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So this is a direct connect to Exodus chapter two, verse 11, when Moses took the responsibility for an unknown slave, scripture is now telling us this is actually in the credentials of his calling. This is making uh, Moses in In the Bible, in the Bible's hall of those who attain that gift of God-given greatness, they are able to attain to that place, not by who they know, not just because of gifts and talents, not because of what they look like, not Esther did not obtain favor in the sight of the king because she was so beautiful, though she was beautiful. The scripture is going to make sure that we understand clearly that God is no respecter of persons. And if somebody gets favor because they're beautiful, that in a sense is partiality. The scripture wants to show us that God does not Is not partial, but that God wants us to be in a position. It's not partiality, it's position. And the scripture is going to show us how Esther became, uh, it was placed in a position to be favored of God. And this background of how she was raised with the mindset of Hesed, with the mindset of taking the responsibility for another human being. Let's look for a moment at Ruth. Ruth, who should have been cursed. You say, Ruth should have been cursed. Yes. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 23 and you look at verse two, the Bible says, no Ammonite, or Moabite, can enter the congregation of Israel to the 10th generation, even forever. How can this be that a Moabitess becomes the great-grandmother of King David? How can it be that she who should not have had entrance into the family of Israel now becomes a mother of, of royalty. She is one of the matriarchs of the Davidic dynasty, a mother of royalty over the house of David. How can that be? She not only got entrance, but the entire curse went into reverse. How can it be? It's through hesed, It's through kindness. You see, Ruth took responsibility for Naomi. Now, I want you to know, beloved saints, going back to Esther, we are seeing Mordecai took the responsibility for Esther. And now we are going to see that this training that she was raised in, this incredible house of Hesed, this house of love, this house of Always being trained to think of others and the needs of others. We are going to see that when <clears throat> Esther is kidnapped and abducted, and we must understand this is not a Cinderella story. No, my beloved friends, it was not the glass slipper whose ever foot can, whosever foot can actually fit into the shoe. I want you to understand my dear brothers and sisters that Esther was kidnapped. She was abducted. She was taken against her will the same way that Sarah was taken to the house of Pharaoh. And this is why the Bible says in Esther chapter two, verse 16, the Bible says, so Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus. I want you to understand this very phrase, Esther was taken. We see was taken also used when the text is describing the kidnapping of Sarah. Sarah was also taken. So the Bible is showing us that she, when she was abducted on that day and brought to the palace and brought to the house of the women, it was a very dark day in her life. But we're going to see the moment she arrives, there is something about Esther that she's going to have favor and she's not going to be like the others. The Bible says, so it came to pass when the king's commandment came forth. Oh my. And his decree was heard. This is the decree to find young maidens that Esther was taken to Shushan the palace to the custody of Hege and was brought to the king's house to the custody of Hege, the keeper of the women and the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her the things that were necessary for her purification with such things as belonged to her. Doesn't that sound like a long, boring piece of Hebrew history? Is there something personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant in that text that can teach us about God's divine design of destiny in our own life? Well, first of all, beloved people, I want you to know she was abducted, but we need to know something about Hesed itself. Did you know that wherever we see kindness, there's a boomerang? Kindness comes back to us. When we see Joseph, showing kindness. Um, he's showing, he's actually doing a hesed. He's doing kindness to his brothers. Kindness comes back to him. Now I want you to know something beloved saints wherever we see kindness in the Bible we see Ruth showing kindness to Ruth to excuse me Naomi and kindness comes back to her the kindness that comes back to her is so great that she marries Boaz and that she not only marries Boaz but that she inherits the real estate Uh, she becomes a co-heir with Boaz over the properties in Bethlehem. She becomes a co-heir and Naomi becomes a recipient of the sale, the sale of the properties of Malon, the properties of Kilion, the properties of her husband, Elimelech. Boaz purchases all three pieces of those properties and gives it to Naomi. And Ruth, beloved saints, becomes the recipient of the co-ownership of those properties. Why? Because she showed Hesed. So here we are seeing in the life of of Esther. We are seeing that the text is going to teach us that on the time that she was abducted, there were acts of kindness in the house of women to such a degree. We don't know what those acts of kindness were, but we can see Hadassah showing kindness to those girls who were also abducted. We can see Hadassah being like a mother to them, and we can see Adassa emerging into that woman, Esther. Now we are going to see that as Esther was in that place, she came under the custody of Hege, Hege, who was the keeper of the women. As we close this podcast today, I want to take the story of Esther to another level. I want you to see this story of Esther also as the bride. I want you to see that Esther is going to be anointed for her prophetic purpose and that the oils that are going to be demonstrated here in the text are not just perfuming oils. The text is going to use very specific language. It's actually code language so that every person who reads this, who is fluent in the biblical times that read this in the Hebrew language, knows exactly what Mordecai, who is the author of the book of Esther, wanted to communicate to the author. We are going to see that before she went before the king, she was immersed in oil. Six months in oils of myrrh, the Bible tells us in verse 12, and six months in sweet spices. King James says sweet odors. Now, oftentimes we think, wow, she was being perfumed. She was being cosmetically treated so she could be so beautiful when she went before the king. But the text, the author's intent is not to speak to us about perfuming oils. The author's intent is to show us she is being anointed like King Saul with a special anointing oil that is shown to us in Exodus chapter 30 verse 23. The Bible says, take unto you principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels. Of sweet cinnamon, 250 shekels, even half so much. And of sweet calamus, 250 shekels. And of cassia, 500 shekels. Now I want you to understand something. What is being emphasized, beloved saints, in the Exodus version of the sweet spices and the 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 myrrh, we see these very same spices. And if we use, beloved, the comparisons in the context, we will understand that the author's intent is to show us that Esther is being raised for such a time as this. She is being positioned in her place through the anointing. And we need to see that the anointing is a key component that Esther is going to have in order to bring down Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagite, she is going to emerge into the position that her royal ancestor forfeited. Esther is now going to fulfill it. And we are going to see, beloved saints, that as Esther takes that place and that position, it's not so much about the sweet-smelling spices as much as As it is concerning the price of those spices. You see, beloved saints, there is a price to the anointing. It's going to cost us everything we've got. I invite you to join us on this continuing series that we are bringing to you from Secrets in the Scroll of Esther. Today, my prayer for you is that God would elevate you, that God would bring you into a place of promise, that you would see doors of destiny open for you, that you would begin to step into as stepping stones of greatness, that you, my beloved friends, would practice some of these character traits that we brought out today in the recipe and resume that the Bible gives us for greatness. Heavenly Father, I ask you today to pour out your spirit. Lord, I ask you for every person who right now may be going through the darkest days of their life. Lord God, I pray right now for those who may feel like Queen Esther on the day she was abducted, brought to a place you don't know what God is doing. You feel isolated. You feel separated. You wonder if life is ever going to be like it was before. Some of you feel that sense of loss. You feel that sense of emptiness. You don't know where you're going. Everything is changed. It seems like the environment that you're in right now is so strange. You're wondering, who am I? Am I losing my identity? God wants you to know you're just emerging the same way Hadassah did. You are becoming the person that God has ordained you to be for that place and that position that he has ordained. For your life, you are God's choice for this hour, and God wants to use you greatly for His honor and for His glory. And today, beloved Saints, I also want to invite you to be a Hesed partner. And one of the ways you can become a Hesed partner with us, you could go to breathofthespirit.org. And when you go to breathofthespirit.org, you can donate to one of our multiple Hesed projects that we have around the world. We feed orphans every single day in Uganda. We have feeding programs in Masaka, Uganda and in Kampala, Uganda. We have educational programs in Nadu, Tamil, India for Christians that cannot afford to go to Christian school. We are providing education for children from economically challenged families in India. We have a wonderful program we have established in Pakistan for the suffering church, for those who are marginalized and live underneath radical ideologies. The Hesed program reaches out to Egypt to our new orphan home, the Nazir Children's Orphan Home that we are raising up right outside of Cairo and also our Syrian refugee programs. You can do this also by texting to give. You can text today, text Hesed, C-H-E-S-E-D and text it to 77977. Thank you for joining us and we will see you very soon.